Um, we're in a series about Jonah, and we're in the fourth week, and I think we're learning that Jonah is not a children's story after all. That there's a lot in this, and today we're going to see that in a new way. Um, I was thinking about um, 1996, Stephen King had a novel that maybe you've read, maybe you haven't. It was called Desperation. And it was about this fictional town in Nevada, and the name of the town was Desperation. Desperation, Nevada. And it was a place where God and evil forces collide. And in this number one bestseller, four people begin to understand that they're separated from God. They realize their road has led them to desperation. Now, in desperation, they begin to understand the impact of evil forces, and they begin to understand how desperately they need God. It's through a revelation from God in a prayer trance that they're guided on how to get out of desperation. Now, the book has some huge theological problems, and I don't recommend it as a theological book, but it made me start wondering, as we unpack Jonah, when you and I run from God, our destination is not really Tarshish. Our destination is desperation. You see, every time you run from God, you're going to desperation. It's just where he's going to take you. Jonah was instructed by God to go to Nineveh. But instead, he said, no, God, I'm doing it my way. I'm going to Tarshish. And as soon as Jonah made his first step away from God, he was taking the exit to desperation. You see, our run from God always, always, always leads us to desperation. And our lesson today can be summed up in just one sentence. God allows us to go to desperation because that's where we find the path to transformation. You see, Jonah teaches us that he's going to reach his most desperate moment. He makes a very small turn towards God. His heart is not quite yet right. He still has a lot to learn, but finally, after taking this run away from God, he begins to make a sincere move towards God and to actually meet him where God wants him to meet. And Jonah's going to teach us another truth that the road to transformation has to go through desperation. Once Jonah chose to run from God, the lesson God had for him was in a place called desperation. You see, when we run from God, that's where God does some of his best, best lessons for us. Now, right now, maybe you're thinking about the times in your life where you found yourself in desperation. It's there that you and I become laser focused on God. Have you ever noticed that when you finally are in desperation, all of a sudden, God becomes more clear, perhaps than he's ever been before. You see, once you reach that point of desperation or that place of desperation, you can't focus on anything else. It's in desperation where God finally gets Jonah's undivided attention, and it's where he gets ours too. That's why we're there. We're going to visit this experience in Jonah's life in chapter 2. But before we get there, I've got to give you a little bit of perspective about the way Jewish people write so we'll understand what's happening in Jonah's story. You see, the problem with Jonah's story is that we love logical flow, right? We want to go from this moment to this moment to this moment. In the end, we want to sum it up and we want it all to fit together. 
And it looks like when you read the book of Jonah that chapter 2 is out of order. We're going to read this chapter and Jonah is praising God for saving him, for delivering him. And yet, just a chapter later, Jonah's still in full rebellion. He's still running from God. He still has a hatred for the Assyrians. He's praising God from the inside of a fish. He's thanking God for delivering him before he's actually delivered. Claiming to have turned back and surrendered to God, yet not doing it even in chapters 3 and 4. How does that work out? Well, Jonah's doing something here that Jewish writers do. And I kind of wish we did it more too. As you're telling a story about God, you're allowed at any point to break into praise. So for instance, as Jonah is looking back at his time in the well, he doesn't just say, hey, I'm inside of a fish and it was desperate. He looks back at his desperate moment and he can't help but go, I got to tell you the end of the story. I got to give you a spoiler alert. That incredible thing happened to me. And so he's not following a logical flow. He has stopped telling the story to praise God. In other words, I'm so excited about what happened in the end. I can't help. I can't wait. I got to tell you now. And in chapter two, we're going to see Jonah busting into this praise for God and this praise prayer for what he learned and how he was transformed and how he was changed. And then he gets spit out on the land. And all of a sudden he's still not where God wants him to be yet, but at least his heart has made a turn. It's common to all Jewish writers, and it's, it's a wonderful thing because Jonah just can't, can't help but praise God. So we have Jonah now in the belly of a big fish. And, and Jonah begins thinking, he's writing this years later, he's thinking back about this whole experience. He remembers what it was like to be in the belly of the fish. He remembers how he eventually cried out to God, and he can't help but just go, hey, let me just stop and tell you how great this whole thing is. That's chapter 2. And it looks like it's out of sync. And the reason that's important is that people get the story of Jonah perhaps a little bit confused. Because what they think, what they think they're seeing is not what they're seeing. The story that they tell goes like this. Jonah ran from God. God chased him, put him in the belly of a fish. Jonah realized he was wrong. God spit him out on earth and he was a good prophet from then on. That's not the story. Jonah ran from God. God loved him enough to put him in a fish. Jonah still was in rebellion. He still didn't want to go, but we're going to see that he goes. And he doesn't really learn the lesson until way later. So, and that's important for us to realize. So let's dive into chapter 2, verse 1. No pun intended. All right. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look on your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots. I went down to the land where the bars closed on me forever. Yet you brought up from my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard in vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed God I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. 
And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the land. Now, I don't know if you've got you, but I am particularly thankful for that verse. Verse 10. Because here's what I know. There's only two ways out of the belly of a fish. Okay? You know what I'm saying? Can I just say we serve a very gracious God? All right, I'm going to switch over to paper. This isn't working, so hold on. We serve a very gracious God. That's all I'm saying. Jonah's looking back at the time he spent inside the fish, and he said, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. I want you to look at the pronouns in this passage. I called out, and he answered me. In other words, I called out, but I'm not sure that you're still my God because I'm not sure what you're going to do with me. You see, I'm in full rebellion. And so I called out to you, not even sure if, if you want to hear from me, wondering if it's too late. I called out to him, but you answered me. You heard my voice. Jonah is fleeing from the presence of the Lord, and the Lord took him to desperation, and Jonah cries out to him, but, but the response is not from him, it's from you. In other words, in this moment of desperation, I, much like Peter later will understand, you're still here. You, you still care about me. I still have a relationship, and you have not forgotten me. And Jonah continues, he says, I will look upon your holy temple. He describes going down in the water, being covered in seaweed, entangled in the bottom of the ocean. And he realizes that not only did God put him there, but God rescued him and brought him up. He was at the moment of death and he cried out to God. His prayer made it to the holy temple. Remember in week one, we talked about how when Jonah decided to run, he wasn't just running from his mission. He was running from everything that God had asked him to do. He wanted to get away from anything that reminded him of God. That's what happens when people run from God. I want to get away from his people. I want to get away from his church. I want to get away from his temple. I want to get away from his word. I want to get away from anybody who will speak truth to me. And here's what he says. He says, look, I ran away from all that, but I've realized in my moment of desperation that the temple is where God is. And so as my thoughts begin to turn to where I really need to be, as I begin to pray, I'm beginning to think and see the temple because that's what I ran from and that's where I need to be. He realizes that the place he's running from is actually the most important place he needs to be. You see, it's in desperation where we realize that we're desperate for God. We're not desperate for anything else. See, desperation means we're at the end of ourselves. We've done all we know to do. We need God, and it's crystal clear. Jonah made a vow. He, he promised to go back and do what God had asked him to do. You see, Jonah was called to deliver the message of God no matter what happened. And Jonah says, okay, all right, God, I'll go back. Now, we're going to learn he doesn't do it with a happy heart, but he does go back. Now, I want to tell you the key lesson for this entire book, okay? So if you don't want to read the book, you want the cliff notes, and you want it in one sentence, here it is. Drum roll. <laughs> Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's the book of Jonah. You want the take-home message, 
Salvation belongs to the Lord. God is reminding Jonah, salvation is mine to give. I give it to whom I choose, and I gave it to you, Jonah. And if I choose to give it to the Ninevites, the Assyrians, it's none of your business. I'm God. I save whoever I want, whenever I want. It's a gift, and it's mine alone to give. You don't earn it. You don't receive it. You don't deserve it. And once you have it, you can't pretend like it's just for you. You see, I'm God, and I've decided I want to save some Assyrians. And my salvation is mine alone to give. So in his greatest moment of desperation, Jonah finally becomes teachable and begins to learn the lesson that God had for him at the beginning. Now, we are truly stubborn people. That's why we find ourselves in desperation so often. We run from God. Things go pretty well at first. We think things are going good. We're finally doing what we want to do. We're not under anybody. Nobody's there to tell us we're doing anything wrong. But then we reach the limits of what we know to do. And because we're not led by the Spirit of God, we start trying to figure out what we should do ourselves. You see, the Spirit of God always tells us, go back and obey. Every time you're running towards desperation, the answer is easy. Go back and obey. That's the answer. But our flesh, our mind always wants to lie to us and tell us, no, no, we got this. We're good. We just need to make a few changes in course correction. No, you're headed to desperation. You can change the course all you want, but that's where you're going. And the only way not to go there is to go back and obey. And by the time we wake up in our run from God, we look around and we realize, wow, I'm in desperation. How did I get here? I thought things were going so well. You see, we get to the end of all that we can do. We exhaust all of our options, and the only place we can end up is in desperation. It's the place where we're done, and something supernatural better happen to us. Because everything natural that we can think of has failed. And God has taken us to the place called desperation because there's some things that he can only teach us there. So I want to share you with you ten truths about desperation. Ten things you learn, ten things that you understand. The first one is, desperation is a place of clarity. When we arrive in desperation, we're surprised to be there. We don't see it coming. It's like everything was great, and then all of a sudden, it falls apart. And often, it's not until we arrive in desperation that we begin to see our situation clearly. There's something about desperate moments that make us finally realize what's truly most important. I've been reading a lot lately about the Titanic. Such a shift of emotion on that ship. It was the ship that they joked about. They said, even God can't sink this ship. They put their faith in man. At the time, it was the pinnacle of man's accomplishments. A modern-day Tower of Babel. The ship that man built, and then man taunted God with it. The ship was an idol for them. It had amazing technology, amazing power, incredible luxury, a lot of opulence. It was indeed a great ship. People started out on that ship as a party. It was wonderful. The best alcohol, the best food, the best china, the best people, the best service. So many options to choose from. There's so much freedom here. Each one at the moment seems so important to them. Should we lounge by the pool? 
Should we head over to the bar? Maybe we'll take a stroll on the deck. Maybe we'll finish that novel. What are we going to wear to the crystal dining room? What bling are we going to show off? Where do we go to be best seen? How can we best impress other people on this maiden voyage? Who do we need selfies with? How do we make ourselves important? I wonder what the seating arrangement's going to be at dinner. Am I going to have a position of importance at the lead table on the Titanic? Little did they know that none of that mattered. Not a single thing mattered. Because in just a few moments, they're going to arrive in desperation. And all those little things they were worried about, all those things they were freaking out about, all of a sudden you get crystal clear clarity when you hit the iceberg of desperation. Nothing else matters. I thought a lot about the men who stood on the deck and watched their wives and children descend beyond the rail in those lifeboats while they sang, Nearer my God to Thee. How in that moment, nothing else mattered to them. Their own lives didn't matter. I just want to know my wife and children are going to be okay. I'm nearer to God than I've ever been. I'm headed that direction. And they stand there and sing, Nearer my God to Thee. You see, matters of the heart come front and center when you finally arrive in desperation. In a similar way, our run from God seems like a fun joyride at the beginning. We pursue the pleasures, we run from God. At first, we think we got everything under control. You see, sin always seems pleasurable to us and makes sense to us, and it seems right to us, and it's fun. That's why we do it. And that's why we're drawn to it. There's something in us that wants us to, to be drawn closer. But we can't see the future consequences. We don't know what the event holds for the evening. The Spirit of God tries to direct us and we either don't listen or we don't have the Spirit of God to be guided anyway. And once God directs us to obey Him, we're going to learn the lesson that he has planned for us. He's going to transform us. The only question is whether or not we're going to force God to take us for desperation in order to learn the lesson. You see, that's the funny thing about this. God tells us what we're going to do, and when he says this, this is good as done. I'm going to take away your racism, Jonah. How do you want this to go for you? You want to just obey and we'll just work on it and fix it? Or you want to go spend some time in desperation so I can convince you to obey and let us work on it and fix it? It's your choice, but you are going to learn the lesson. God pursues us in our rebellion all the way to desperation. We only get there because he loves us. It's his love for us that leads us there. You see, in desperation, reality hits like an iceberg. Your iceberg could be selfishness, it could be drugs, it could be arrogance, it could be pornography, materialism, just name it. There's all kinds of icebergs out there representing an option for you to wreck the ship that is you. And that leads us to my second truth about desperation. Desperation is a place where consequences collide with your reality. Said another way, desperation is that place where the consequences of your action catch up to you. 
All of what seemed important is now no longer important. Gone were the decisions about your status and your pleasure and your selfish desires and how much fun you were having. And immediately, desperation clarifies your need. You immediately know what you need. You also know that what you need, you do not have. And in that moment, God gives you the chance to cry out. To cry out of your desperation and ask for the help that you really need, which was Him all along. All of what seemed was so important is not. Jonah 2.7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Is that where you are today? I mean, one minute we're making decisions that promise pleasure. You're dancing and dining in the grand ballroom like it's 1999. You're living the life. You're doing whatever you desire, your pleasure and needs above anything and everybody else. You're worshiping yourself. You're showing off your accomplishments. You're showing off your bling. You're, you're boasting about your position at the table of honor, and you don't even realize that your spiritual life is the Titanic. And maybe that moment came to you, not like Jonah wrapped in seaweed at the bottom of the ocean, but when your spouse, hurt by unfaithfulness, stares in disbelief and pain. Or maybe sitting in that empty house with a half-filled closet and without the frenzied noise of your children anymore. Maybe it's the moments when your children look in your eyes and ask you why. Maybe for you it's vomiting in a jail cell trying to shake off everything and figure out what happened last night. Or the realization that what you thought was private is now over the news and social media and you've reached desperation. You see, desperation definitely clarifies your situation. And that's where consequences sink your false reality. Third point. Desperation is a place where false gods are destroyed by the true God. You see, God uses desperation to teach all of us that there should be no false idols. Desperation peels away every false idol, everything you've put your faith and trust in, in your entire life. Your money, your social status, those you know who are important, the drink, the drug that used to bring good times, your health, your image, your importance, all of it is scattered wasteland around desperation like roadkill. You came into desperation thinking that stuff was important, and now it's been discarded because every false idol you put your trust in, God has stomped down. None of those survive in desperation. They're systematically and completely destroyed by God. You see, it's in desperation where you realize that God and God alone is the one who's going to decide what happens and nothing else is going to help you. That's why you're there. Every fake idol is removed so that you can realize that all you truly need is Jesus. Look at what Jonah says about his moment in desperation. For those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope in steadfast love. Desperation removes everything that keeps us from clearly seeing Jesus. Desperation is that place where our will is broken by God's will. You see, some of us come to desperation like a wild stallion. Untamed, angry, obstinate, mean-spirited, unloving, damaged from life's trials, angry at God. 
Our resistance and our rebellion is strong. We almost dare God to try to do something to us in desperation. We're ready to hurt anyone that becomes near us because we have so much hurt inside. No one can tell us what to do. We'd rather die than change. But regardless of how you get to desperation or how rebellious you are, God loves you enough to not leave you that way. He lovingly creates situation that breaks down your resistance and reveals to you and me things we didn't want to see. Much like taming a stallion. There's a moment in your life in desperation where you just reach your point of surrender. In desperation, God always brings us to a decision point. Fifth thing, desperation clarifies our options. It's interesting how clearly we finally begin to see things in our moment of greatest desperation. It's like the clouds part, everything moves away, and we can laser focus on the most important things in our life. How we respond to that moment is our choice. Jonah ran from the presence of God. He ran from the temple. But desperation clarified for him his need. He looked at the place where God dwells, and he says, I want to look again at your holy temple. I know I'm here in the belly of a fish, but I want to be with you, God. I want to be with you. That's where my desperation has brought me. I'm now ready to surrender. But see, it's not just a knowledge about Jesus. It's not just about making him your Savior. You and I have to move past desperation only when we're ready to make him our Lord. Let me repeat that. We don't move from desperation because he's our Savior. He takes us out of desperation when we allow him to be our Lord. That's so important. You see, when he's Lord of your life, you do what he says. It's that simple. When he's Lord of your life and you continue to do what he says, you stay out of places like desperation. You just agree with him and go. There's only one way out of desperation. Total and complete surrender to Jesus. That's it. Nothing you do is going to work. What you did got you there. Right? All the great ideas I had, all the dependence on myself put me in desperation so I could realize I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. And even if I knew what I was supposed to do, I don't have the power to do it. I'm either going to continue to live in desperation or at some point, like a wild stallion, I'm going to have to surrender. And the amount of time I spend in desperation is however long it takes for God to tame my wild, unbridled spirit. And it can take a long time if we're resistant. Sixth thing, desperation demands a decision. When you go to desperation, the sign might as well say, welcome to desperation. Your rebellion drove you here. God's love guided you here. This is the place where your idols die, your resistance is broken, and total surrender to Jesus is the only way out. That should be on the sign. All of us who are on this journey will make return trips to desperation. You're not done. You'll go back. I'll go back. The process of dying to our flesh is to often end up in desperation. The goal of spiritual maturity is to learn how to learn what God wants you to learn without having to go there. The more we learn to obey God at the beginning, the less time we have to do detour to desperation along the way. You see, Jonah was a prophet of God, but he still had a huge prejudice problem. 
I'm not even sure he was aware of it. I think he was blind to it. Sometimes we're blind to the ugliness in our heart and God has to show it to us. Other times we know what God wants to show us and we hope nobody else would notice. You know, that area of your life where Jesus keeps wanting you to address it and you keep not. The topic that we skip when we're on our knees and in the Word. The area of our life that needs healing, but we're not going to let God expose His light into that darkness in our life. God says He wants to shine a light on that secret we've been keeping, but we run for darkness. And in that run, we end up in desperation. Mark 4.22, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. You see, because like Jonah, you and I, we have this lesson to learn when we're running. God pursues us. He'll reveal to you and others. He wants you to acknowledge things. He wants you to surrender it. But it's the road out of desperation where the journey really starts. Leaving desperation behind, God begins to move us now towards transformation. You see, desperation clarifies our future. When you and I are most desperate, we long to go back and change the moments of our lives that we can't change back. It's so clear what we should have done, but we didn't do it. You become more and more aware of every moment, your fears of failure, your regrets of the past. But in desperation, you begin to realize your past is past and your future somehow seems to be getting clearer. As you go stronger walking in the Spirit, you begin to see everything differently. The truth of God's Word begins to penetrate those areas that you've walled off and and God wants to transform. It's as if the Holy Spirit tells you, I have a lesson for you. I'm going to change you. You see, when you surrendered to me, you said you wanted to be like Jesus. And I promised you I'd put my spirit in you, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to make you like Jesus whether you want to be or not. You see, you're going to resist. There's going to be things we need you to do. You can't be like Jesus and hold on to racism. You can't be like Jesus and not love people. So I'm going to take you from your flesh part, and I'm going to be transforming you. You're not doing it. I'm doing it. And you are going to be changed. He's already promised. He'll complete what he started. The only question is, how much pain do you want along the way? That's the only question. So here's the question. As you go stronger in the Spirit, as you begin to move, God says, do you, do you want to do what I want you to do right now? You want to just do this? We could just do this. We could just go to none of You could do what I asked you to do. Or do you want to go visit desperation for a while first? If you can't surrender your carnal desires to my lordship, then we got to go there. See, there, i got to clarify your situation. I've got to remind you of what's really important, and you're going to see in desperation, you should have followed me to begin with. It would have been a lot easier for both of us. Eventually, enough trips to desperation, and you begin to see every event in your life as an opportunity to learn and change and obey. Eight, desperation is a place where gratitude grows and compassion is cultivated. You see, we take the road to desperation and we're stubborn and we're entitled, but the road out of desperation is one we take full of thankfulness and blessings. 
On April 14, 1912, there were 2,228 people on the Titanic. After that horrible and desperate night, only 710 survived. They'd been to desperation. Do you think those 710 faced their future differently because of that experience? Do you think maybe they were a little more appreciative of things they hadn't paid attention to before? Do you think maybe that they appreciated little things and relationships and people and the things that really mattered a little bit more because they'd been in that desperate situation? You see, when you go to desperation, one of the things that begins to develop in you that God can't teach you very many other places is gratitude. You face your future differently each day because you realize each day is a gift. Each moment is an opportunity. Look at what Jonah said in desperation, verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving... You see, in other words, God, I wasn't thankful for you when I ran, but after I went to desperation, everything became clear, and all of a sudden now I can see the future, and what I realize is I got a lot to be thankful for. What I vowed I will pay, salvation belongs to the Lord. Desperation is a place where we learn thanksgiving. It's also a place where we learn compassion. You see, we go through situations that are desperate and we say, God, what good could come from this? Why am I here? How could this do anything good? But there's something about needing to be comforted that prepares you to comfort somebody else. And God calls that compassion. It's hard to have compassion on someone until you've needed comfort yourself. We go through desperation and we ask God, why am I here? What, what good could come from this? And then a day comes along where God places us in the path of someone who's going ex through exactly what we went through. They're in their own moment of desperation and God moves our heart and says, you see that person? Remember when you were in desperation? You remember how badly you needed somebody to come alongside of you? Do you remember how badly you needed somebody to love you? Take what you learned in your moment of desperation and go help somebody. It's called compassion. You see, often it's not until we help other people through the same desperation that we went through that we find our true healing. When it comes full circle. When we find ourselves meeting that person in their moment of desperation and teaching them the lesson that we've learned. It's like finding a straggler who's lost in a city and showing them the way out of the city. We go through life, and if we've recovered from alcoholism, if God's made us a different person, we don't desire alcohol or, or whatever it is, and we see somebody struggling, our hearts go out to them because of our moments of desperation. It's how God builds character and compassion in people, and sometimes that can only be learned there. Now here's the ninth thing. Only God can lead you out of desperation. You see, the story of Jonah is often told so superficially. We think we know the story. Jonah ran, Jonah almost drowned, he ended up in a fish, he surrendered. And because of Jonah's obedience, because Jonah was such a good person and deserved it, God spit him out the oral end, which is good. 
That's not the story. You keep reading this book. In the belly of the fish, when Jonah cried out for help, he hadn't learned his lesson at all. He was still in rebellion when God rescued him. We're going to see in Jonah chapter 3 and 4 that Jonah was still full of hate for the Assyrians. He was covered in gastric content, seaweed, all kinds of horrible things, but he still hated the Assyrians. He hated them long after he was vomited on shore. He obeyed God. He made a step towards God. But he went to Nineveh like a mad child stomping up the stairs to clean their room. He wasn't happy about it at all. Obedient, yes. Happy heart, no. However, he's going to obey God. He's going to take one step towards God, and God says, okay, I can work on that. Let me lead you out of desperation. You see, we think that we have to learn the lesson to get out of desperation. We think that we have to fix things, and then when things are fixed, when God has us perfect, then he'll take us out of desperation. That's not how it works. The minute we turn our heart towards God in our moments of desperation, he says, okay, let's get out of here. I'm going to rescue you, and then I'm going to teach you. I'm going to rescue you, and then I'm going to teach you. The lesson you need to learn is not going to be learned in the belly of a fish. It's going to be learned in the walk towards Nineveh. It's going to be learned interacting with the people that I'm going to tell you to talk to. You see, you don't earn your way out of this. God's the only one who can lead you out of desperation. I just wonder if you've been there. Maybe your marriage is crashing and everything in you wanted to just run, but God said stay. Maybe you didn't feel like it, but you obeyed. Maybe you're planning revenge on someone who hurt you deeply, but God says forgive. You didn't feel like it, but you obeyed. Maybe you're about to step off into an adulterous relationship, but God said turn around and run back to your spouse. You didn't feel like it, but you ran anyway. See, God didn't lead Jonah out of desperation because he learned the lesson. He didn't lead Jonah out of desperation because he finally confessed his sin of racism. God led Jonah out of desperation for one reason and one reason only. Jonah's heart moved away from Tarshish and he took one step towards God. All God needed from Jonah to rescue him out of desperation was some kind of move of the heart. Just a little bit. Just a little chink in the stubbornness armor. One baby step of obedience and God does the rest. So I wonder if God's asking you to take a step. God has areas in your life and my life that he wants to transform and there's a good chance we know what it is. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's a relationship with someone you have to forgive so bitterness doesn't destroy your heart. Maybe it's that lust you've been struggling with or your anger or your greed or your envy. One move of your heart and God will lead you out of desperation towards transformation. And that brings us to our last point. The road out of desperation always takes you to transformation. 
You see, God's original intent and His sovereign will was to take you and me to transformation. That was the destination all along. Every time we look at God's Word and it reflects back to us and we realize we need to make a change, it's God saying, I want you to go to transformation in this part of your life. And I'm going to take you there and we're going to transform you. You're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. So that's where we're going. And by the way, that's guaranteed. That's what's going to happen. God was determined to change Jonah's heart of racism and hatred towards the Assyrians. And in theory, in actuality, Jonah's racism ended the moment God told him to go to Nineveh. So let me tell you what really happened here. God saw Jonah. He says, arise, I want you to go to Assyria. I want you to go to Nineveh and preach the word. Now, God may have well said to him, Jonah, arise, I'm about to end your racism. It's the same thing. Jonah, go ahead and get up because I'm going to kill this racism that's in your heart. But what Jonah says is, no, 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 no. I'm not going to help them. And he starts running that way. And then God says, okay, I guess we're going to desperation. And God patiently waits, and we try to figure it out on our own, and we bang our head against the same wall, and eventually we walk into the town of desperation. And all of a sudden we look around and we go, wow, everything's clear here. I'm messed up. How am I going to get out of here? So we stay there for a while, stirring things up, trying to defend why we're there. Why God hasn't rescued us, why God hasn't done anything. Because we know if we get out of desperation, we're going to Tarsus. Well, God's not going to let you out of desperation if you're not going to obey Him. The only issue about desperation is how long you want to stay there. How long you want to stay there. You see, because if this is your area of desperation, and this was your area of obedience, the same question exists here that exists here, right? I mean, when you go to disobedience, when you go to desperation, you still got to make the same decision you should have made over there. And the longer you're over here, the longer that decision stays unmet. But God says to you, look, rise and go, we're going to be transformed. Now, I want to close with a homework assignment. David prayed in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'll translate this for you. God, examine me and tell me what you want to change. Tell me what you want to change. What are we going to transform? If you pray that prayer with your heart, if you truly have the guts to pray that prayer and decide in advance that whatever God reveals, the answer is yes, Lord. And you're not going to go to desperation to learn it. You're just going to obey. We're all going on a journey to transformation. God has promised not to leave us where we were. God has promised not to allow his children to run in rebellion forever. God has promised to do whatever it takes in desperation to get his children to allow him to change them for the better. 
So whatever you're facing today, the only question is, on your way to transformation, do you really want to spend time in desperation? God loves you enough to allow you to do either. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you, God, that no matter where we run, no matter how far we go, no matter where we end up, no matter how desperate things become, you don't leave us there unless we reject you. So God, every one of us knows what it's like to be in desperation, and sadly, every one of us is going back at some point. Would you help us do two things, God? Would you help us to remember that we have the choice to begin with? That we can just lay down our pride, our arrogance, our self-sufficiency and just agree with you on what needs to be changed and surrender and crawl up on the altar and let you change us? Help us, God, when we begin to run to desperation to stop, to realize what we're doing and turn around and go back and obey. Help us, God, when we realize that we're in that moment of desperation that we caused to ourselves. Help us to realize that all we have to do is turn our hearts towards you and begin to move your way instead of our way. God, I thank you for the story of Jonah. Such a powerful, powerful story. So full of life lessons, but you knew that. So God, please don't leave us where we're at. Give us the courage to pray the prayer that David prayed. Give us the ability to just agree that the answer is yes, Lord, no matter what he reveals to us. Surround us with people who can keep us in the transformative moment and warn us when we begin to turn and head to desperation. Help us to help each other, God, to be obedient. Help us to hold each other accountable. Help us to, if necessary, risk relationships in order to move people towards your transformation. We need each other, God. We thank you for each other. But most of all, we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.